For where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I am among them. I speak to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That's okay. <laughs> For nearly four decades, St. Anne's has been in a partnership with villages that surround Chijulamul in Guatemala. Now the eight villages that we partner with are rural and they're in the highlands. Our partners are Mayans, which mean they speak Quiche, so Spanish is their second language and English their third. We build latrines, stoves, and supply children and teachers the resources they need to fend for themselves. Last week, a couple of parishioners asked me, why do we do this? Doesn't the Guatemalan government provide for their needs? Allow me to read for you a report submitted to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for the Government of Canada. During the height of the Guatemalan Civil War in the late 1970s and 1980s, the Quiche were the victims of 80% of massacres perpetuated by state forces. Massacres were carried out against the Quiche in the highland areas of Guatemala. The Quiche is the worst hit of all indigenous groups in Guatemala, and during the war, they remained discriminated against because of their indigenous identity and past. To this day, departments in the highlands are militarized. Pretty interesting report in some. Those in authority engaged in systemic genocide and continue to perpetuate policy discrimination. Now the lived memory of this exists in the communities that we partner with. And so, St. Anne's, as partners, we collaborate with people who are not looking for a handout, but they're looking for a hand up so that they can get a job, so that they can fend for themselves. By any measure, we have in these United States our brothers and sisters in Chijulamul should be dour, angry, and sad. Yet in my interactions with them, I have observed that they are not. For they exude a joy that many of us sitting here, who have so many things in life, do not have. Such joy 
amidst all the sufferings and difficulties of life is a result of encountering and living the truth of the gospel message we have in Christ, in our redemption in Jesus. Let me assure you of this. The church, our church, this little church in the center of this city is needed in places like this, where people have no other recourse. Last week during my sermon, I suggested that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Today, I would like to emphasize that underlying the Christian response to suffering is Christian joy. Scripture's rendering of joy is very different from the way culture has constructed and perpetuates happiness. For Christians, joy is a state of being that comes through the recognition of grace. It is grounded in experiencing the presence, strength, deliverance, redemption, and guidance of God, particularly, particularly as we encounter the realities of this life, the realities of grief, suffering, and times of trial. Happiness is fleeting and it's always contingent. It's contingent on context. But joy, joy is rooted in a substantive framework, rooted in hope, for it looks towards the grace of God. Scripture always offers us a choice between life and joy in abundance or death and dreariness. For instance, we can hear the first lesson read from Ezekiel as offering gloom. We can hear the voice of God as judgmental. Or we can hear the voice of God who is inviting each and every one in God's creation to return to a right relationship with him. Remember, this prophet and priest lived as one in exile. He's cut off from the city of Jerusalem, his hometown, most in his tribe. From the temple where he ministered and served and perhaps found his vocational purpose. His entire world is collapsing right in front of him. Yet even during this time, with a sense of purpose and a sense of joy, Ezekiel works to feed his fellow exiles. He keeps alive in them their culture, their traditions, in order to, to foster a spirit of unity. And then he offers something revolutionary, something that hasn't been recognized or realized before for these people. He tells them a secret. Guess what? God does not exclusively dwell in Jerusalem. God can be experienced wherever the faithful are gathered. And it's in that context that our text today describes the nature of this God who yearns for a restored relationship with all who are faithful. Ezekiel channels God's voice, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked turn from their ways, turn back, come back to me. For why will you die and alienate yourself from the ultimate source of truth and beauty, O oh, beloved? Come back to me, for I love you. God pierces the darkness, beckoning his people to return to God, all for the sake of love. That's what St. Paul is pointing to in the epistle today. Owe oh, no one nothing except, except to love one another. For love fulfills the law. It puts on the armor of light and dispels darkness. It radiates the beauty of God and doesn't fall prey to excesses, the excesses of gloominess or the excesses of debauchery. Rather, it feeds on love, born of joy. So I have come to recognize that I am middle-aged. And so I'm going to offer you a very middle-aged movie reference. It's from 1987, and the movie is Babette's Feast. I don't know if you've seen it. Babette's Feast was the 1987 best foreign language film at the Academy Awards. And this movie is about a Christian community that is so beset about doing the right thing. But there isn't any joy in that. Their Christian life is set on rules, obligations, and extreme austerity. Imagine daily meals consisting of salted fish porridge that's eaten every day as a mark of Christian obligation and simplicity. Now one day, a Parisian by the name of Babette comes to their village seeking refuge. And the community embraces her, and yet we see that Babette is acclimating to the dour life of the village. And years and years go by, and after a few years, Babette receives word that she won a modest lottery. And so, the light bulb lights in her head, and she wants to give this community a gift. She wants to give them the gift of an exquisite French meal. So for one meal, rather than salt fish porridge, she wanted to treat them with an exquisite five-course meal replaced with choice wine and champagne. Now, the community loves Babette, but they're pretty anxious. Questions arise within them. Are we allowed? Are we allowed to enjoy this food? Or do we just eat just for the sake of eating, just because Babette is among us? In their mind, they did not want to offend God, but they also did not want to offend Babette. But overarchingly, 
the image, the voice that they kept hearing in their mind is, we can't fall short of the puritanical expectation just to live and to be satisfied. Yet something miraculous happens during the course of the meal. As they begin to sit, they begin to be unified and feel a sense of love and joy. And in the midst of them, there is a guest of the community who is a former general of the army who has experienced the fine cuisine of Paris. As each course is being brought and served and the libations consumed, you can see this general's face just, just light up. He is so amazed and he is overcome by joy and gratitude. No theologian, this general is so moved that he stands up and delivers an almost incomprehensible speech on righteousness and bliss. Now the guests sitting there, they really don't understand what he's saying, but, but they are moved by the fact that this, this individual is moved. And they too join in the joy and the levity and they begin to renew their commitment to one another and their commitment to love and to, to, to meeting each other where they are. There then, then something happens. And sort of that sort of scarcity mindset that creeps in when you are dour and gloomy, it's replaced by a sense of love, of joy that makes the cup overflow as we read in Psalm 23. Love that overflows, that chalice. Now I leave you with that image. And I also leave you with some things to reflect upon. I'd like to offer that even in the midst of life's realities, like suffering, trial, and difficulty, the question that we as Christians need to ask ourselves is whether we can open ourselves to the possibility of deep joy. I, for one, can attest to the fact that our family in Guatemala, despite the deep barriers that they face, barriers that 99.9% .9 of us can't imagine, they exude a sense of deep joy. I'll say that eventually, those guests who were served by Babette, they got to experience deep joy, a deeper understanding about life. What about us? Even if we have all the material things in this world, if we have no joy, no love, the things that we have, they're utterly meaningless. So my question, is our experience of God rooted in obligation, dark gloominess, and the drudgery of faith? Or does it come from a sense of joy, gratitude, and love? I will say that Babette prepared a feast that broke up the gloominess, the gloominess of an inherited puritanical faith that knew no deep sense of radiance. And when she did that, 
Her inspiration was Jesus. Now remember, we are here for the Eucharist. So let me offer you this image. Jesus, who breaks through the deep darkness of the world so that evil is dispelled, offers the beauty of God, breaking bread that would ultimately be his body, offering his blood, which is choice wine, so that he can express God's solidarity with all of us who are struggling and point us to the victory effected on the cross. So, beloved brothers and sisters, I invite you to get to know that Jesus. Taste and see, for God alone in Jesus gives us joy in all its abundance.